0: and former South Alabama assistant, Alabama staffer, and Ole Miss recruiting coordinator Tyler Siski for an hour of football and fun. Listen and enjoy as they talk ball, the national landscape, and much, much more. Now, here's your host, in the Clark Ford Studios,
1: Neil McCready. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCready. Martin Paloma with me here today as well. Uh, we're going to talk about a number of different things. Kind of first time back in a couple of weeks. Martin was gone last week, so we'll catch up on a couple of things. And not just a ton of uh, market news out there, really. There's a few things that we'll touch on, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. First, I'll tell you that I'm brought. We're, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford is in Amory, Mississippi, six six two two five seven nineteen hundred. 257 Call that number. Ask. For Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do. Let's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get rolling, tell the people what's going on at Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys.
2: Yeah, man. Um. Well, I'm kind of I'm digging out of a hole this week. Uh, I was gone all week last week. Uh, and, and I was actually completely disconnected for a a large chunk of that. Um, I did not have cell service. It was, it was actually kind of nice, uh, to not be, I can't even imagine how nice. Well, you know, we were, so we did over the weekend and I, and I mean, people don't really call me on the weekend, so it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been an issue, but over the weekend we kind of did a, we've never been on a cruise before. And my wife has been, uh, has been really, really, uh, apprehensive about cruising. And she's got a little travel business that, um, that we started, you know, last year. And I told her, I was like, look, you know, I mean, we've got Disney down to, to a T like that's, we go so much that, uh, it's easy to help people plan, you know, their Disney trips and Jen really enjoys it. I was like, dude, you're, you know, you've never been on a cruise. So how are you going to describe to your clients what it's, what it's like and so dude we did a little short little three-day cruise over the weekend uh just to see if she had sea legs and i've never done it before either it was man it was a really enjoyable time but when we were in the middle of the water uh we had no no sail signal uh it was actually really nice i have no idea what happened in the afc and nfc championship games because we were in the middle i mean i kind of i know what happened results wise but didn't get to watch it. So man, it was kind of, it's, I'm kind of back to reality now. Um, you know, we came back in on, on Monday and I've been digging out of, uh, digging out of the, the email hole that I ended up in. So, uh, anyway, I know that's not what you asked me, but that's kind of what's been, that's where I was in the week last week, really enjoyed it. Refreshed, recharged, ready to rock and roll.
1: Um yeah, I'd rather not ever talk about the AFC championship game again. Um,
2: well, and I have no frame of reference for what happened. All I know, I just saw the end result, and that's it. So it must have been exciting.
1: Um, it was, it was it was an exciting game. It was a good game. Kansas City dominated the line of scrimmage defensively against the Bengals' makeshift offense. The Bengals still had so many opportunities to win, and I think, I think most people will tell you that it was a uh, poorly officiated game. And in all likelihood, it was not. In, I mean, it was not rigged. It was not intentional, but it came across as a very one-sided game. You don't typically see that in the NFL, where the officiating feels so one-sided. But felt really one-sided. Felt like, yeah, and I and I would think like the that, NFL. Felt like the NFL really wanted one team to win, and that's that's when people feel that way. I don't think it's particularly good for the league.
2: Well, and it's and that's kind of so. And I, I did read something about the officiating issues in that game, because there was, I don't know if you've seen it or not, and you may not have, there's been some crazy stuff. You know, soccer, Mississippi high school soccer is is into championship is Saturday, and uh, playoffs have been going off, and there's been some crazy stuff that's happened for officials. Um, you know, one of, uh, one of my real good friends who's a coach, high school coach, but he's also a, an official, um, was telling me, a game he was at the referee's tires uh were cut were slashed um during the game and i'm what like dude game? that's a whole new level uh, can you tell me what game uh i do i didn't i do not know the answer to that question uh and i and i could probably find out and tell you off air. uh I, I don't think it's something they want, like out there publicly but i'm sure we can find it i'll ask i'll ask jeff though which game it was um that's kind of a new low uh yeah that's that's for, not
1: good that's not good that that's no, not good at all um and
2: and and for sorry I, I sidetracked, but for the for the NFL i mean with it's really there's only two games going on this weekend so i kind of figured they would have their very best crews on each of those games so it's kind of surprising to hear that there was officiating problems
1: well they did have their best crews on the games they they had crews that typically don't call a lot of calls and what happened was at the end of the Bengals Chiefs game the Bengals on the play there was a there was a, a Mahomes scramble where he was getting out of bounds 8 seconds left and he got hit out of bounds it was the right call but on that play they missed a hold on the punt that led to that play they missed a block in the back and all of those calls and earlier in the game they had messed up and the bingles I'm sorry, the Chiefs got to redo a third and nine. It ended up not quote mattering in quote, but it creates that sense from people that oh god, this game's they're yeah. they're, they're trying to steer it a certain way, and yeah. I, I think that's what that's what led to some of that emotion. That makes sense,
2: and I mean, and dude, and I realize like as a parent, you know, of uh, a kid that played, and and you're the same. You're a parent of a of a kid that plays high school sports, it is hard to not get emotionally involved in a game that you have, I guess, kind of, quote-unquote, stakes in. And I know, at least from the soccer world, like most of the crews I've worked with on games, they really don't have a, a dog in the hunt. They don't care who wins or loses. They're just trying to, you know, make sure that it's a – a fair match and call fouls when there are fouls and, and they miss stuff. But I think it's, it's easy for, especially if things are one-sided it's easy for fans include, I'll include myself to, to get emotionally attached and feel like there's a, uh, an officiating bias. And sometimes there is, and dude, and sometimes I'll be totally honest with you, sometimes it's coaching that it's the coaches, uh, that will, that will end up causing more problems on the field for their team because of the way they act and talk and, and treat officials too. Sorry for turning that into an officials.
1: No, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've, I've obviously watched a lot of high school soccer. And so I've seen, I've seen different referees handle games in different ways. I've yeah, seen, And they do. I've seen a a very laissez faire approach. Uh, I've seen a, a almost a dictator approach. And I've seen kind of everything yep. in between. And just different games are different ways. And the kids get emotional. Yep. And the parents get emotional. Yep. And you can see coaches get emotional. And it matters, you know. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like you don't see a lot of this at the club level because the kids don't really care. They're playing, but it doesn't matter. There's so and, and this is a good thing. When they put that jersey on that has their school name on it, yeah, Oxford or Starkville or Clinton or Northwest Rankin or whatever, right? It it, there's more pride. There's pride, yeah, absolutely. It matters. Those are their classmates. These are the guys they grew up with. And when you play for club, it's just guys you play for club with, and you, in the heat of the moment, you're in it. Yep. but you don't care. No, you don't. You're right. You're right about that. You know, like I told, you know, I've, I've repeated this a couple of times. So for the people who have listened to a lot of podcasts, please forgive me. Uh, Carson's team, Oxford, got eliminated in the second round at Clinton. Yep. Clinton's, Clinton's good, man. They are, man. They are. Ooh, they are good. They are incredibly well coached. Uh, the players are terrific. Um. You can tell that the program's been in place uh, I for think, a
2: long time, dude. Decades. I think,
1: I think he's had that, but I think he, Oh, T he,
2: Wade. Yeah. Tyler, yeah, the coach Tyler,
1: there. Tyler Wade has had that program 10 years.
2: Yeah. Almost. Yep.
1: Almost is, to the team. He has put his stamp on it. It has his DNA in it. It's yep. it's it's his. And so there's a way that they do things and man, the way they communicate on the field was so impressive, but I'm getting to something. Oxford just got steamrolled that night, just got steamrolled. And Um, but even in a game where they got steamrolled, they played really hard all the way to the end. They never quit, which was a good thing because if they quit, they'd have gotten, um, but they didn't, they didn't quit. They kept playing really hard. They played with intensity. They played that way. And when it was over last game, a lot of tears, boys don't, you see girls at the end of a girl's season, you you know, you're going to get tears. And this is not a criticism of tear girls or boys or tears or no tears. It's just different. When you see a lot of boys crying and comforting one another, it means something. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Dude, they left it all out there. It's the grieving process, man.
1: It means it meant something. You know, Carson yeah. got back that night, like at twelve thirty, and I got got up to make sure he was getting in okay and stuff. And um he'd gotten a cut on his hand and a cut on his leg. And so his uniform had blood kind of all over it. And his eyes were still pretty red from yeah puffy you know, puffy, and, um, and I thought to myself, well, you know, that's, that's good. When you, if you're willing to cry for something and bleed for something, yeah. all right, it you're tells invested. you that, it tells you you were invested and it, it meant something and, and that it, it had meaning and that it had significance, which is good. You want life to have some significance. Otherwise we're just a bunch of robots walking through, but, Anytime you have that element out there, you're going to have emotion, and um, you know I've seen games that I thought were one-sided, officiated. That was not one that the the official could have gone out of his way to help Oxford, and it wouldn't have mattered that night. Um, I mean, there was nothing he could do, yeah, to 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 help. Other than, I mean, the only thing I guess he could have done was every time that Clinton got the ball, blow it dead. Well, or or give somebody a red card, and at some point uh, yeah. the numbers would would maybe lend our would have gone our way. But anything short of that, not I don't I don't think we were going to win. That. He would have
2: had he would have had to give uh what six red cards to get you below the uh, the seven minimum requirement on the field.
1: Yeah, Oxford <laughs> Oxford probably made a mistake. You saw the first time that Oxford yeah. played. Yeah, it was a, good, it was it a was one a good nothing match. game. It was a really good match, and yeah. I and and I suspect that um, I suspect that that game. Got their attention a little and and left a a bookmark in their collective minds and, um, and said they don't, don't
2: sleep on Oxford.
1: Yeah, uh, he probably did not have to tell his team, "Hey, th- these guys can play with you," because there was film and and a memory of these guys played with you. Yep, and so they were they were dialed in. And uh, but anyway, I mean, it, it just officiating is always something that people talk about at the professional level, though. When a game ends and the conversation is about officiating, yeah, that's usually failure. Something's wrong there. That's usually failure. Like you saw it, there was a Lakers-Celtics game the other night where LeBron James got fouled. Um, second and a half left, they didn't call it. Uh, the game ended up going to overtime. Celtics won in overtime. LeBron should have had free throws, and the Lakers, assuming he wins one of those free throws, likely win the game. And so that ends up being what gets talked about. And then, um, you know, in the AFC championship game, Chiefs, Bengals, it's been – they've now played four games in 14 months, all decided by three points, clearly becoming one of the NFL's best rivalries. You want the game to be about the game, not about calls.
2: Yep. I mean, and that's – you know, in all the the training that I've ever done – as an official and I've only, I've only ever officiated soccer. I've never officiated any other sport, all the training that I've done, you know, with, with, uh, soccer, as it relates to being a referee, um, you know, one of the main points is, is always, you know, be invisible, um, you know, try to not be a factor of, you know, try to catch everything that you can, uh, you know, and it, and one of the things we kind of talk about internally and the referee crew is, you know, a lot of times you'll hear if there's a foul count, quote unquote, on a, on a team. And, you know, the foul count for, I'm just going to make this up, Oxford is five. And the foul count for Clinton is zero. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, you're calling all of the fouls for Oxford. Or we try to get to the point of, we don't keep up. It doesn't matter what the foul count is. It is what it is. It either was and, or was not a foul. It either was or was not. That's right. Right. And, you know, and, and the, that's the hard part I think for at least in soccer, uh, because there is a definition of what a foul is in soccer, but then there's still a lot of interpretation on the field of, you know, was it a foul? If it was a foul, was there advantage and you cause harm by stopping play, uh, you know, and all these decisions are happening happening in split seconds, um, you know, and then, I think a lot of folks.
1: And with high school kids, they're still learning how to play.
2: Yes. And there's some coordination issues as well. Um, You know, some people, like I have, I have officiated games where uh, the players are very uncoordinated with their bodies and stupid fouls happen, but it's because they're still learning how to like run in their bodies. Sure. Uh, But you know, at the, at the higher level match, it's like an Oxford versus Clinton That you don't see that as much, Um, but you know some of the things that
1: who does Clinton play in the final? By the way, Brandon. Ooh,
2: yeah, it's gonna be a. It is gonna be a good match. My money's Uh, on Clinton. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm probably gonna tell you my money's on Clinton. I'm not sure that there's a high school team in the country that I wouldn't bet on Clinton against.
2: Well, you know they're number one in the country,
1: Max Preps ranking. yeah, Carson told me going in cuz we had this conversation yeah. about it. he was like I got to got to make sure that we're not intimidated by their ranking. Yeah, <laughs> I mean over, he goes he goes no they're they're really number 1.
2: Yeah, they're legit,
1: man. It's <laughs>
2: no, you legit. know and and it's crazy that Mississippi now we are not like state of Virginia, you know, state of California, state of Texas soccer um you know, state of Florida. But dude, Mississippi actually has some it's starting to have really good quality soccer in some of the schools now there's
1: other parts where it's martin it's it's so much better it's so much better year over year oh yeah right now you see it at the club level you see it at the high school level um there's many more programs like just in mississippi which some boys soccer from a girl's soccer's going is 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 exponentially better today than it was five years ago and i've had i've had uh uh, Matt mott the Ole Miss soccer coach, on we've yep. talked about that very thing. Like when he first got to Ole Miss, he he really couldn't recruit Mississippi, right? Well, now he'd be a fool not to recruit Mississippi. I yep. mean, he'd be an, he'd be an idiot not to recruit Mississippi. He's gotten players just out of the Oxford program, out of the Tupelo program. I'm sure other programs in the country. I mean, in in the state. And here's the reality: it's it's really a this is. A, but well, we could spin off on this and do a sports show that we could do hours. If you didn't have, if you didn't have the Title IX legislation and all of the stuff that goes with that, there's no doubt in my mind that decision makers inside these athletics departments, SEC, Big Twelve, ACC levels, Big Ten. Given that they already have the facilities to do it, right? They have, right. you either have a women's soccer stadium that's already built. Yep. Sorry, then you have a football field that you could convert. Yep. There's no doubt in my mind that they would start men's soccer programs. Correct. Um, no doubt because it's a growing sport. The players it's getting are better, better in the U.S. Yep. It's getting significantly better in the U.S. Look at the number of U.S. players that are playing in the English Premier League. The number of U.S. yeah, you abroad, know, yeah. yeah, across across the board. There's no doubt that would happen, and and so, yeah, it's becoming. I'm decide if I want to go here. People take offense to what I'm about to say, and I don't mean it in a way. I, I make a lot of money off football. I depend on football. I'm 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 a fan of football. I watch a lot of football. I consume a lot of football. I, I like football. I'm also a pragmatic realist, and football's socioeconomics are changing. And as they do, the game becomes, at a grassroots level, imperiled. And when you look at one of the, the sports that are taking from it, I'll use that Oxford-Clinton game, okay? Clinton won. They were easily the better team. It's not the point. Clinton, one of the things that I noticed about their team the first time we played them, we being Oxford, and the second time we played them was how big and athletic and physical a lot of their players were. I don't mean that yep. in a they you played mean, a very, they yeah. played a very physical game, not a dirty game. They were not dirty at all, but they, they played a very physical brand of of soccer. Yep. In a in a in a completely above board way. Very clean, but physical. They they enforced their will. Those boys a generation ago all played football. One generation ago, you and my age, one generation ago, every one of those boys played football. Yep. On the Oxford team, of the 16 to 17 kids that play, and this is not a criticism of those that don't. There's some of the young guys that aren't in yet and stuff like that. Yep. Of the 16 or 17 kids that played a generation ago, 12, 13, 14 of those kids played football. So take the, let's just do, let's just do 15 and 15. 15 boys for Clinton and the 15 boys for Oxford. And you can do this all over the country, by the way. That's 30 kids. How many of their kids will play football? Those boys, when they, get married, have children, raise families, and they have boys of their own. How many yep. of their boys will play football and how many of their boys will be inclined to go play soccer? Because the boys now, this generation, those boys, I don't know the boys at Clinton at all. Yeah,
2: and I do. I know a lot of them just because – you know i'm in jackson i'm very involved yeah. with club i know a mm-hmm. lot of the family they're about christopher's age
1: then you can tell me what i'm about you can answer the question i'm about to yep. ask because i know carson's group yep carson comes home from school the other day talking about two things chelsea signed fernandez yep is that his name fernandez yep to a 130 million dollar deal and he was talking about the that that part and weston mckinney who plays for the us uh, world cup team Yep. is now with Leeds. With Leeds, yep. And with so this those, team were the, those were the two things he was talking about. This was on the Monday or Tuesday after the NFL Championship Sunday, right? So I'm going to guess, and he is representative of the kids that play soccer at Oxford. Yep, I'm going to guess that if Carson and some of his buddies got into a room with the boys from Clinton and they just started chatting, those boys from Clinton are also into the English Premier League. They all watch the World Cup. They all have their favorite uh, European players, whether it's yep. a, a Neymar or or Harry Kane or or whoever the case may be, um, Ronaldo, um, you know they, they 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 could talk soccer at a pretty high level about yep. right. I'm for guessing, a long time. I'm yes. guessing those boys are the same way. Yeah, they eat it up. Yeah, so a generation from now, when those boys, those thirty boys that we just talked about, when they have children, when they have boys. Those boys are going to grow up liking soccer. Yeah, that's well, what's going to happen. In the same way that kids who are big baseball people, their kids end up playing baseball. Why? Because dad played baseball. It's that's right. It's where it's going. And so I I think, I think there's a there's a socioeconomics to it at football that that the football people are I I think they're turning a a, a defiant eye to it, which is a big mistake, by the way. But um, there's just a lot there. Like if you if if you were to take Title IX away, I have no doubt at all that that universities today would say we need to start a men's soccer program.
2: Yeah, yeah, because they'd be missing out. I mean, the club the club programs are very healthy, you know, at at universities that are the kids that are coming in that would would be on a, you know, and the SEC I'll say because you know ACC does have men's soccer, the Pac twelve or Pac ten. Yeah, there's uh, a
1: handful of Big Ten teams that have it. Um, yeah, you know, we yeah. have
2: like Kentucky and South Carolina somehow have. Uh, a men's soccer program. But, uh, you know, one of the things I will say, I know a lot of the kids that play for Clinton, you know, their, their parents are around my age and I played soccer with a lot of their dads growing up. We were kind of like the first generation in the Metro area that was kind of getting more than just recreational soccer exposure. And so, you know, a lot of those dads, um, also played football in high school but they played soccer you know in club and their kids don't play football right their kids play their kids play soccer
1: they, they play soccer and
2: yeah i mean so you're spot on so one more generation you know those kids when they have kids
1: and so i'll
2: uh, go i'll go one further. highly highly doubt they're gonna play football they'll probably I'll go, play one, soccer
1: I'll, go, I'll go one further at oxford they just built a fantastic appears to be fantastic state-of-the-art baseball facility baseball and softball but we're, we're talking boys for a minute the, there's a few exceptions, not many. The overwhelming majority of the boys that play high school baseball at the level of Oxford and Clinton and Northwest Rankin and Starkville, and I'm just naming schools, Warren, Warren Central, Madison Central, those schools, they play baseball only. They play baseball year-round. Yep, That's their sport. They don't play football. A generation ago, the majority of them played football also. Yes. Because that's my generation. The guys that played baseball, I was one of them, played football too.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.
1: And now they don't. Well, with, and with one rare one... exception. And so, so, so what's going to happen with football? This is a money show. What's going to happen with football? At the grassroots level, at the high school level, is parents are going to start saying, "Look, I don't want to give to the booster club, because when I give to the booster club, let's call it what it is, I'm giving to football. Yep, I want to give to baseball. I want to give to soccer. I want the soccer kids, the baseball kids, to be able to go on the trips and stuff, and be able to take a better bus, and I want them to be able to do stay at a hotel and all that stuff. So I'm going to give to that. And when the money leaves football, and it will. When it does, it's gonna die. And when it starts dying at the lower levels, it's like a tree. A tree doesn't die at the top first. It no, dies right. at the roots. It's the roots. Yep. And when you see the roots happen, and that's what's happening. It's it's, it's absolutely happening. And I, I can almost feel people getting mad at me as they hear this. It doesn't change the reality. This is not me cheering for this, it's me observing this. And it's an observation that at Clinton, for example, they had built what appeared to be a pretty brand new. Soccer specific locker room area. Maybe it was a weight room. I, I don't know. They, they had something. I, I haven't seen it. They had, they had very clearly, they had, they had very clearly invested financial resources into that program yep. that a generation ago would not have gone into that program.
2: Yeah. But, you know, and, and, and another thing that's kind of weird, and I don't know if it, if it, uh, is kind of foreshadowing, but you look at, you know, when I was in high school, kids were still multi-sport, you know, you played football at at high school. Um, you know, you played baseball at high school, you played baseball in the rec program. Uh, if you made all-stars, you made all-stars. There was no, there wasn't really any club baseball. It was, it was just beginning as, you know, as I was a teenager, there was some American, there was
1: some American Legion baseball that was minimal travel. Right.
2: Right. And then soccer, you know, there was club was beginning to form, but it was one team per age and they didn't really even start until, you know, U13. Well, what's happened, you know, of course, they have, there's there's club, essentially club baseball, club soccer now, uh, you know, even basketball, they have, you know, travel basketball, but I don't know anywhere, and I may be wrong and you may say, hey, it does exist, it just doesn't exist in Jackson. The only football that exists you know, for the youth is your city leagues or, you know, recreational football, like flag football and tackle. They don't really start getting quote unquote, you know, professional coaching until they get to middle school, high school. Um, and I don't know that football has the infrastructure to be club football. I don't know if we even want club football. Uh, you know, I could see that there would be reasons to not do that. Like, playing a football game every weekend for a year is probably not good for the body.
1: That would not be good for the body. Yep. It's just, yeah, no, I mean, it's different. It's totally different. There used to be a lot more, and I'm for this. Most people are. Most of the people in pro sports rue the fact that we've gotten to this place where kids are so specialized with a single sport at a young age. Yeah. I mean, you know, like truth is this is, This is our, our generation's done all this. We're the, we're the guilty party. I think we've done this thing where we're, we're all trying to make our kid, the next pro baseball player. You've got the, it's, it's it's really bad in baseball, the travel baseball. It's, it's every kid is trying to be the next, trying to be the next college player this part of the country, they're trying to get college scholarships. Well, the truth is the, 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 the percentage of high school players that are going to become D one college baseball players is so infinitely small yep. that if that's your motivation for playing club baseball, you're wasting your time, your money yep. and your kid's childhood. And so a generation ago, it was, Hey, once you graduate high school, you're never going to really get to play sports again. So play a bunch of sports, have fun and we've taken that away. Now it's we must be very serious about our our baseball and and frankly to be good at soccer you've got to play club pretty much at least yep. through your junior year. Yep. I agree and with then, that. And then if you've if you harbor like I live with one of these kids. I don't I think Carson's chances of playing college soccer are incredibly small and he knows that.
2: Are you talking about division 1 or college period cuz the one thing I will say about Mississippi, all the things we do wrong, our junior college program, one, from an academic standpoint, is is really good for, to transition from high school to four-year schools too, but two, the athletic opportunities for the junior college in Mississippi. I mean, dude, junior college soccer in Mississippi is really high level because – and it's and
1: it's because we don't have Division One opportunities. I mean, there yeah. are
2: Division Two and Division Three.
1: I don't know if he'll have kids... that opportunity or not. And if he did, I don't know whether he'd want to do it. Right? It's something sure. he's got to think it's about, work, man. But it's work. You know, yeah, it's work. It's full time. It's it's.
2: Yeah, I, I did it. Christopher's doing it right now. It's it is work.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I don't know. You know who knows? Um. But my my point was is that if you want to be good enough to do that. Like, and he hasn't ruled it out. If you want to be good enough to do that, you have to keep playing club because you have to keep your skills sharp. Yep. Just a generation ago, kids that played football played, some of them played basketball. They missed the first part of basketball. If they jump in and play basketball or they certainly played baseball or they played soccer or whatever, just those days are, for the most part, except for the super elite athlete who can pull it off, and even most of them specialize, Kids specialized.
2: Yeah. The last one that I remember in the Metro area that was, I'll call him the super elite that was able to pull it off. That was just great at everything was Ely. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we watched him play football, football season. Then he would, you know, play baseball and baseball season. And he crushed it in both, both arenas ended up going to Ole Miss. Did both for a little while.
1: Darion Ely. Yeah.
2: Yep. Um, but yeah, but it's, that's, a, that's a very special person that can do that. I agree with that. All right, dude. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack uh,
1: no, no, it's okay. <laughs> this show
2: um, talking about officiating, but I guess uh, there is a little bit of uh, parallelism between officials and the Fed. Okay, if fill you me want in.
1: To... Make that segue. I'm all ears.
2: <laughs> well, you know how we say we don't want, you know, you the the best officials are the ones that you don't notice and that are not a part of the, you know, a part of the game and you can say the same for, you know, the fed, ideally what's best for public markets is when, you know, people aren't depending on the fed to make decisions about what they're going to do with their money. But the truth of the matter is, is that the fed is, uh, is very influential in, you know, how things work in regards to the financial systems and, you know, in the U S and we, You know, we've talked several times on the show saying that. uh, Well, I've said, you know, I know, I believe there's going to be two more rate hikes this year, but I thought both of them were going to be smaller, at 25 basis points or a quarter percent, and I figured it would. The first one would be in January, February, which we did get one yesterday, a 25 percent increase. But the kind of the language that the Fed used at the meeting yesterday was very. I'm going to just say accommodative will probably be the best word. They didn't sound so gloom and doom like they have in the last couple of meetings. And I think that's why you saw, you know, markets were negative yesterday going into the fed meeting and then they jumped, they ripped, you know, right after, right after Powell talked. Um, so I think there's still, you know, for folks looking at their portfolios, if you're looking at your January statement uh, you're pretty happy. January was a really good month. Uh, really, the last four months have been, as a whole, good. December kind of crapped the bed a little bit, but January bounced back. Um, and there's still, I think there's opportunities that we can have, you know, some some down days ahead of us. But we're not completely out of the woods with volatility or, or fluctuation in the portfolio. I think that might come second half of the year, you know, and we've had a couple of conversations in the last couple of days with people with cash saying like, Hey, I've got this cash. I need to do something with, what do we do? And if it's long-term I'd say you can put it in stocks if you're not going to look at it. Right. But there's still some fluctuation ahead, but if you want to kind of protect on the downside, you know, in stocks, this year, maybe have a mid single digit possibility return. I think that's what we'll have. I maybe I would love to be wrong. I would love for stocks to be up double digits this year. Um, I just, it's a harder path to see that, but you know, with a short-term bond, you know, the three month or six month, you're getting paid almost 5% to kind of just sit on the sidelines with no downside risk. So that's kind of what we've been talking to clients about when they come with cash. It's not sexy, man. But until we kind of know have a little bit better view of what the what the markets are going to look like going forward, uh, I'm I'm okay with limiting my upside. Five percent growth
1: five percent growth might not be sexy, <laughs> but it's a it's a pretty attractive girl next door.
2: Uh very attractive, especially five, especially if we're saying, you know, five percent growth with no downside. So she's pretty attractive with no craziness.
1: You yeah. know, you
2: get those really she gets smoking hotter, hot redheads. She gets hotter that, by the day. Uh,
1: she's one of those that grows on you where, like, after a while you're like, you know, she's really attractive.
2: Yeah, the smoking hot reds that do hair, uh, and their name is Hawny. Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen the hot crazy matrix oh, thing? Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, it's hilarious. that's
2: hilarious. That's I was totally pulling it from from that yeah we don't
1: want and over there that's not a that. that's a dude <laughs>
2: yes if if she's if if she's a 10 hot and a zero crazy you got a tranny that is that's a man that is not a <laughs> that is not a female <laughs> no or did they call them the unicorn no which ones are the anyway i digress we won't go down that yeah that path but anyway yes the All right. you know a five percent short-term bond dude you're just sitting on the sidelines and waiting it's not that you're locked into that thing for you know, forever. So All
1: right, let me read you something. Cause I want you, I want your thoughts on this. Okay, cool. I'm going to fill my cup up with some water real quick while you're okay. going to mute it. This is uh wall street journal. This is our friends, Akani Otani, who uh, is probably not related to Shohei Otani, but in the event that you are, please tell Shohei to sign with the Cubs in a year. Uh, it's uh, written by Otani and Nick Timorous who we've uh, w- read some of his work before. It says the market's, big comeback in January is indicative of one thing. Investors don't believe the Federal Reserve is going to keep interest rates high for long. Stock and bond prices have jumped to start the year, particularly risky assets have run up even faster. An index of non-profitable technology companies compiled by Goldman Sachs is up 28% after sinking in 2022, while the bank's index of the most shorted stocks in the Russell 3000 index has climbed 23% following its worst year on record. Even Bitcoin has risen. The cryptocurrency has surged 43% this year, despite industry layoffs, regulatory scrutiny, and the bankruptcy of the lender Genesis Global Hold Co. LLC. In comparison, the S&P 500 is up 7.3%, including a 1% jump Wednesday, when the central bank raised interest rates at a slower pace than it did in December, December, but signaled it's, Fight against inflation wasn't done. Last paragraph. Many investors are skeptical that the Fed will keep interest rates higher for longer, despite the central bank's outlook that it is unlikely to cut rates at all this year. They think last year's rate increases will sharply slow the economy and lead the Fed to cut rates as joblessness climbs. Others see economic nirvana in which, that sounds interesting, in which inflation falls rapidly rapidly. Without a serious downturn, allowing the Fed to ease, the markets are calling their bluff, said Johan Grand, head of exchange traded funds at Allianz Investment Management. So the markets are calling their bluff. Are they going to get burned?
2: I don't know if I would say they're going to get burned. Um, are they right? I'm going to give you a very attorney answer okay. which is it depends. Um and I think it really all depends on what earnings look like you know as we kind of come out of these out of the end of the year. Uh and the so the the, the S&P 500 does have room to go down. Um but the conundrum is there's so much fed intervention now. There was a period of time, you know, it's kind of back to the two thousand nine, two thousand ten, or let's call it the mid the mid two thousand, or late first ten years. You know, the middle of the of the last decade, where the Fed was was very uh, involved with easing and, you know, and making uh, dropping interest rates to kind of stimulate the economy. So there were some periods of time where it was kind of bizarre, where bad news, you would get bad economic news and the markets would rip because they knew that the Fed was going to step in and drop interest rates and ease. Um, and and so it was like bad news equaled good news. And then it flipped to you know, good news is good news. But it, the cycles don't work like that. There has to be a break at some point. And we got that break initially the beginning of COVID when, you know, markets went down almost 40%. And then, you know, then the fed steps in and backstops the markets, Uh, the markets rip again. And, you know, now we've kind of hit another cycle of, you know, of contraction, which is normal and it's healthy too. It's we can't have a drug induced market that just persists into infinity, um, because it it doesn't allow for cycles to happen, and and cycles are natural. They need they need to happen for you know for for companies to get lean, uh, to create more profitability, then to start the hiring process. Like there's there's reasons we have business cycles that are natural cycles, and the more Fed intervention we have, the more synthetic those cycles become. So I said all that to say, it depends, you know, if the Fed does step in and cut at the end of the year, um, you know, especially if we end up with a quote unquote recession, uh, you know, by year end, then, you know, the markets can, can run for sure. But, you know, if there's some big earning misses, you know, in the first half of this year and the S&P, let's say S&P earnings fall by 10% I mean we could still you know we could have a 10 15% decline in stocks this year it's possible Um, so you know let's just say that we let's say we have a a 15% decline in stocks the beginning of the year then the Fed does start you know cutting rates year in the markets rip let's say they end the year up you know, 20 after being down 15. So net, net, we'll just go easy math. Net, net, you made 5%, right? You went down 15 first half of the year, up 20, second 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 half of the year. You know, we'll go simple math. You made 5%. Well, okay. you took a roller coaster ride yep. for that 5%. Well, if you just park your cash into a short-term bond, the net re- the net result will be about the same. But you don't but you don't have a bleeding portfolio, and you can wait till things kind of normalize quote unquote whatever that means, but I'm also not saying if you already have stocks in the portfolio, go sell all your stocks and buy short term ponds. I'm just saying if you have new cash coming in, that's where you want to park your cash, but you want to stay invested because markets are irrational,
1: okay, yeah. But it does. And look, we're entering because our country is set up in a way that we're always in an election cycle. We're beginning to enter into the very early phases of a presidential election cycle in which the incumbent president, I believe is going to announce soon that he is running for reelection. There's incentive on all parts for the economy to improve. You, you can't run for re-election with a dead economy. True, you won't win. Or you won't win. Yeah, I mean that's Jimmy Carter says hello. Can't happen. You
2: know, and we're about to hit. I mean, we're I mean, about like, to hit those like Bill, cycles, Bill, man. Bill Clinton I mean, had a
1: Bill Clinton had a scandal going on, but the economy was roaring, and people were like, "I don't care." Yeah, I don't. We care don't care what he, do
2: he did in the Oval Office as long as he keeps the economy not messing good.
1: anything up. Um. You know, any chance McCain had of beating Obama, which was pretty minimal in the first place, but when the financial scandal hit in 08, that went away. You know, I mean, had Bush been running for a third term, he would have been SOL at that point. So that's my point is there's incentive for everybody to like, Hey, we got to get this thing going. there, there is a story here and we're about out of time, but there is a story here for us to talk about just briefly. And it's, uh, it's bosses are back in charge is the, is the headline. It's by Chip Cutter and Theo Francis in the wall street journal leads with America's bosses. You're one of those Martin (laughs) America's bosses are starting to feel bossy again. Many executives say they're no longer scrambling to retain workers after several years of doing whatever it took to keep people on staff, pay increases are slowing. For some jobs, hiring is getting easier. Executives are seizing on this moment to streamline operations or cut projects, shedding staff that until recently they couldn't afford to lose. A wave of corporate layoffs that began in technology is now flowing through other industries. In recent weeks, employers as varied as toy maker Hasbro, chemicals giant Dow, and payments pioneer PayPal holdings announced job cuts following reductions at tech giants such as Alphabet Inc.'s Google and Wall Street firms like Goldman Sachs Group. On Wednesday, FedEx and electric vehicle startup Rivian Automotive said they would cut jobs. Inside many organizations, there's a shift in sentiment, executives and their advertisers say. Employers who felt they had less leverage in the tight labor market of the past couple of years say they have more power in negotiations with employees. Many feel less pressure to hire quickly to avoid losing a top candidate. Others are enforcing in-office attendance mandates that previously were ignored by some staffers. So what does this mean for the job market?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I kind of think of when you say that, too, is, uh, you know, recently Bob Iger came back to Disney as the CEO. You know, in Disney, uh, the company generally tends to have more. Um, more like left-leaning staff members That's a whole. Very creative company, so kind of no surprise that that that's the case. Uh, and then Bob Iger comes out and says, like, "Hey, you guys have been work from home for you know talking about the creative side, not the parks. You guys have been work from home for you know two years, three years now." And he's like, "We cannot be a creative company without collaboration, and you cannot collaborate like you can." in person through zoom so he's like you guys are coming everybody's coming back to the office four days a week and there was kind of a a little bit of a rumbling but they all but Bob Iger is one of them and uh you know so they're all they've all you know kind of I guess bit the bullet but I think you're starting to see that wave kind of ending of the you know work everybody's going to work from home piece and I think that it's you know, what they'll do now, especially if the if the labor market does tighten up, They, you know, companies will be able to enforce the, hey, if you want to stay here, you know, you're going to work from here. And, you know, we need to put a little bit more of a workload on you than you've had before because they couldn't do it when the labor market was, you know, where you could leave, go get a job across the street easy because they would just leave and go get a, a job across the street. Yeah. I think it's it is true. It's kind of moving back to, and I don't know that managers will be dictators per se, but you know that. But before managers had no legs to stand on, and now managers can say like, "Hey, we're having to cut cost. We didn't cut your job. You know, we cut ten percent of the crew. You didn't get cut, so you're it's welcome. Your yeah. Uh, and we, and by the way, we need you to pick up
1: yeah some of the stuff work.
2: from the ten percent that's
1: that got cut." Yeah, Labor Department figures released on Wednesday showed layoffs in December were higher than a year before, but still below pre-pandemic levels for the month. they are. Uh, There are significant signs of cooling. December hiring was the lowest in two years. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal estimate headcount gains slowed further in January, and year-over-year wage increases eased. Yep. Uh, The uh, job report will be issued on uh, Friday.
2: So, dude, I mean, and that's kind of like that was the goal that, That uh, Powell was really trying to accomplish with a lot of the rate hikes was to cool off a smoking hot, um, you know, economy, I mean, a job market uh, and, and to slow down inflation. And when you have folks losing, and if you look at even M2 money supply, it's rolled over. Um, so it's, you know, we don't have as much cash in our savings accounts as we did two years ago. Yeah. And so people aren't just spending, you know, stupid anymore. They're like, all right, we got to get back on a budget. We got to get back to reality. And those things are going to cause inflation to do exactly what it's doing, which is roll over. Um, you know, in Powell, people like him, people don't like him. I mean, he's done what he said he's going to do. And I mean, the chances get higher and higher each day that he's actually going to be able to pull off you know, cooling the inflation without throwing the economy into a massive recession. So kudos to the dude.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't want his
2: job. He's done a good job.
1: No, I would not want his job. I wouldn't understand his job. So it'd be very <laughs> difficult for me to do it, but I, I wouldn't want to do it. I think even if I understood it. All right. We will wrap it there. Thanks to everybody for uh, being with us. Touched on a variety of things as we're apt to do on occasional Thursdays. We will be back. Yeah next thursday i think that's the plan we'll be back next thursday for another edition of mind on my money presented by pinnacle uh martin again remind the people real quick if they want to get in touch with you if you've piqued their interest and they want to uh, get in touch with you to talk about their financial situation how do they do it
2: yeah uh give our office a call 601-957-0323 or you can email us at info at
1: So for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Until the next edition of Mind on My Money presented by Pinnacle, take care. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.